This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we chat to NBL commentator extraordinaire Peter Hooley about his journey from Adelaide to Albany. We discuss the shot, matching up against future NBA players, and a very mysterious mailbag question. Oh, and a lot more too. We had a lot of fun with it this week, didn't we, Stewie? Let's go. It's 12 past 10 on Tuesday, the 7th of June, 2022. Not 10 past, Nathan. Not like a false start to, uh, <laughs> to get things going. Yeah, thanks for taking people behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, well, look, we won't dwell too much at the top here, will we? We'll get straight stuck in, really, won't we? We had a great interview with Peter Hawley today. In my opinion, the funniest NBL commentator by far. Not just your opinion. Mine as well. Ah, very good. So, so I love his pinned tweet. Constant daily struggle of asking myself if it's too late to have a coffee and if it's too early to have a beer, then sleep, rinse, and repeat. Well, look, we'd be lying if we said we didn't have a couple already. So, yeah, yes, we did, and that's the only time. So, we're we're not fresh off recording with him. We recorded with him what probably hour and a half ago. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So we had a couple of beers to celebrate. So yeah. we're just doing a little intro now. So, but uh, yeah, he's a, such a funny guy. I, I loved his response to the Wildcats tweet. Tell us your favorite Wildcat without writing their name. So you gave a very obvious response. Yeah, Peachtree, Alabama. He wrote, he was a bit less subtle. He wrote, Christ Botten. <laughs> I mean, that could be uh, anyone. <laughs> could be anyone. But yeah, we had a lot of fun with him. Hopefully you do too. Gave us some really great insights on his career prior to joining the commentary team. And we also recorded a lot of stuff for the NBA draft upcoming too. That's not in this week's episode, so keep out in here for that too. But let's just get stuck straight into it. Let's do it. Well, Stewie, we've got a special treat this week. Let me tell you, we are absolutely delighted to have our next guest on this week. He is, well, responsible for one of the most famous shots in the University of Albany's history. And we'll get to that shortly. Many of you will know him as one of the great NBL commentators. A very special welcome to the great Peter Hawley. Thanks, fellas. I feel like it's a bit of a long time coming. Uh, a couple of back and forth Twitter exchanges, and here we are. Appreciate it very much, mate. And the great Twitter follow for those that are on there and don't maybe have Pete on there already. So I think before we kind of get into to stuff, we're, we're very interested in your career and, and some of our listeners might not know some of your backstories. And we're definitely interested in getting into that. But prior to that, how are the Adelaide rumours? This might be their biggest off-season since Daniel Mee and Kevin Brooks in the late 90s. Yeah, it's um, very exciting for the city of churches. I mean, if they can pull it off, I think they've they've got one locked in for sure, uh, from what I know, and uh, they're pretty close on the other two. So they can get these this import trio and get that locked away with the, the pieces they already have. And CJ Bruton going around his second year, there's it's really exciting because then you really only need to sprinkle in some local and young talent just to fill gaps. So. It's going to be big. I think Adelaide fans have been begging for a team that they can really get a championship run going. I mean, the last time they had a championship was when I squashed my own hometown in 2018 when they were in the grand final series. So hopefully they can get back because Adelaide fans are desperate for some sort of success. As an Adelaide Crows fan, they need something down there. And so for people who maybe don't know, Peter is from, it's Harndorf, isn't it, you're from? Well, nearby, isn't it? Well, I grew up in a Chunga, which is further on than that. In, uh, but yes, grew up basically playing basketball when I went to Harndorf. I lived a couple of doors away from Brad Hill. Um, yeah, so right. yeah, it's a small little, small little town, but it's a nice, if you like wineries, you like good food, Harndorf is a place to visit. I was in Harndorf all of about two and a half weeks ago. It's an absolutely gorgeous part of the world. It's, it's funny you say that because I, so I went to high school down in Adelaide uh, in the city 
And then all my friends occasionally would be like, oh, we're going to go have lunch up in Handorf. And I was like, no worries. I'll walk down the street. So a couple, <laughs> of, pub, couple of pub crawls there. I haven't been back in a long time, so I wouldn't even know. Is the old mill still kicking around? Oh, do, do you know what? I was actually that focused on all the uh, the Wein Stefaners and all the, the German beers out there that I, I didn't really take note of it. No, but you I'm, didn't go and get some cider. I didn't go get some cider, there's a, no. There's an iconic bakery. There's an iconic, the Otto's Bakery. Uh, that's surely still there. It's been around there for a hundreds of years but oh if the iga is there that's where i go that's where i earn my first bit of money there's a little tidbit i I did see the iga now it's a beautiful part of the world if anyone's in adelaide highly recommend and i was i went to nord mariota for year 11 and 12 so i was kind of uh yeah i never got to handoff though unfortunately but uh yeah so i was in adelaide for a few years there too so you have a really strong footy pedigree am i right in thinking your uncle won a mcgarry medal in the sandfall there and then obviously more recently your cousin James Ace has played for Brizzy Collingwood. Now he's doing great things down here in Frio. Was basketball always the dream or was footy a bit of a calling? Uh, played kind of both growing up, yeah. So mum's um, uh, two brothers, Andrew and Michael, uh, Michael Aish, big footy stars. And from what, I, from what I've been told, I, I can't really remember that Andrew was actually better than Michael a lot. But Michael, uh, I was the McGarry medalist, my grandpa, Hall of Famer. Um, for Nord, we've got a very strong legacy with the Nord Redlegs of the football club. And I always thought uh, I played footy in school and uh, loved footy, loved my country footy, loved everything about it. And then obviously chose basketball and all my other cousins. So Michael's two sons, Joel and Jesse, played country footy. They played for Nord as well growing up. And then James is the one who's really kicked it into gear. But yeah, it's it's a really strong football pedigree, which makes it really fun to watch. But would have loved to have seen Michael and Andrew uh, in action. From what I know, Andrew retired at a really young age because. Um, didn't play too many games, but apparently was better than Michael and saw Michael get concussed in a game, had to pull his tongue out of his throat so he didn't swallow wow. him on the football field and never played again. So that's from what I know, which is pretty crazy. Well, as somebody who retired from basketball because of a concussion, I completely get it. it makes, I've been concussed probably four times when I was playing as well, which people always, people always say get confused in basketball. Um, why uh, concussions happen so easy. I think it's actually something that basketball needs to get a lot better at too. Uh, it's probably for a, another conversation, but I don't think we control concussions and head knocks as well as we potentially should as a sport in general. Well, fast forward to your basketball journey. So so what was it like going to college? And geez, it must have been weird playing those 10.30 games. Speaking of juniors, it must have felt like juniors playing at 10.30 in the morning. Yeah, I mean, it's college is it's the best the best experience that I can recall. Um, and I still, when I talk to a lot of young people now and they're trying to have that decision, I, I wouldn't change it for the world, not just because of the success that I had there, but just what you get to experience. You're out of your comfort zone for a while. You're away from home. I mean, I was in a situation where there was already a couple of other Australians. So that kind of helped my, my roommate was Australian. He came over from New South Wales, Sam Rowley, and we kind of built like a little dynasty together at, at the school. So uh, yeah, the, it came about in a really strange way. I was I was Division Two all growing up playing for Nord in local competitions. I was never too good at anything. I was a little chubby kid. I had a big growth spurt on an under 18s and got a chance in Division One, and then made my first state team in top age under 18s for SA Country, and then made the two combined teams when Metro and Country got together in 20s. And that last year in 20s managed to get uh, picked up from uh from albany which was awesome and yeah college stories for days memories for days and just awesome experience i mean i met my wife there as well so and i believe there's congratulations in order a little one on the way mate i saw on twitter 
Yes, there is. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, really exciting. So little little baby in the end of October, right, as NBL season kicks off. So that'll be uh, full on, but no, really exciting times here. But everything that could possibly go well in the positive way definitely was thanks to college. I did want to just quickly mention, so you you sort of mentioned Sam Rowley that you played with and you had Luke Devlin there as well. Um, Sam's brother, Mike, joined you the, the following season. I think it was it Jeremy Mackay or McKay? Uh, yep. A couple of seasons or season after that. So obviously one of the, the things that, that a lot of us know from watching ESPN is there are certain schools that seem to be really great for, for the Australians coming over. And it seems like that was one of them. It definitely was. Yeah. So I'm, I, it kind of started with Luke. Uh, he was there the year before I got there and then Sam and I came and uh, we, Luke stayed the four years. I had said to do five because I broke my foot my freshman year. So Sam did four, Mike did four. Jeremy only lasted one year and decided to transfer out. But yeah, it, it, that was it. Was really the the same areas of the East Coast what we had created. Not only were we winning, but we were doing really well academically, which is what our coach wanted. And it wasn't until I think last year or the year before where um, our coach left Albany, who'd been there twenty odd years and most successful coach in uh, America East. So that, it was sad to to see him go. And that's kind of uh, quietened down the Australian front on the recruiting, which I'm sure the Albany fans aren't too happy with. But definitely, it was that home away from home vibe of having Aussies there. They let us, we had the Australian flag for Australia Day. We do all this kind of stuff and really feel like we had our own little community. I think it's a wise strategy for a college to pick a country and really try and mine the talent from it. And I think St. Mary's is the other one, of course, that has done some really good stuff as well. So you played four full seasons there in the end after being a medical redshirt. Can you provide some insights to our listeners about things like Selection Sunday and going to the tournament three times? Obviously, we'll get to the shot shortly. <laughs> you're on Sports Center. You're interviewed by Charles Barkley. All sorts of just, oh, must have been a dream come true. Well, yeah, where to start? There's so, much, so many things to pick up from. Uh, I mean, my first, looking back, my actual first memory that I have that's something that I can talk about was the year. So my first game running out uh, we played Pittsburgh we'd, we'd had a preseason trip in Canada which was awesome but I was going to be like a sixth man and as a rookie and play some big minutes and uh, we ran out in Pittsburgh uh, and that was my first experiencing of college and the, the fans were insane and I was like oh, this is wild and we got absolutely destroyed we might have lost by 40 something oh our first game every year was normally a money game where big schools like Can- uh, Kentucky Kansas whoever you get the deal with will pay us to go there so they can spank us really that's basically <laughs> what it is. So we, we lost that and then we went and played George Mason and I, and then we played, we got to play Syracuse at the Carry Dome, um, which walking into there, it's unlike anything you've ever seen before, felt before the atmosphere. Obviously, it's it's in a dome, so even the air is harder to breathe and went to take a three and Dion Waiter stepped on my foot and I felt a little something going that I'm breaking my foot. So that ruled me out for that whole rookie year, but managed to get a yeah, medical red shirt and coach at the time told me not to put on any weight trying to stay as, as healthy as I could for that year, which I thought would be easier. I'm not someone who usually put put on a lot of weight at the time. And then once you're in a moon boot and crutches in snow in minus 10 degrees, easy to put on weight. And I was disgusting after my freshman year. So got back into shape there, yeah. And we, the following year, we, we won the tournament uh, on Vermont's home floor, which was a big rivalry uh that place was unbelievable to, to win on uh, that year we we played duke in philly so we played against seth curry mason plumley quinn cook uh, ryan kelly 
Brian Kelly, yep. Uh, so that was that was my first taste. That was something. So when we won, it was it was unreal. I mean, the, there's no pro pro team in Albany. I mean, it's the capital of New York, but there's no two and a half hours north of Manhattan. So there's no pro team in there. It's really Syracuse is, is kind of like the closest big ran real big school. So it, it, to everybody, it was insane when you're going out. It was so much fun and. So we got already selection Sunday. Everybody's hungover as shit. Everybody's absolutely cooked <laughs> and just like, this is awesome. And you knew because we we finished pretty low and it's a one and done league. So you got to win your conference to go to March Madness. So we knew we were going to be a, a, a reasonably low seed. And I think we were a 15 seed and we and we got matched up with Duke. And Duke, that was my school growing up. I love Duke. I named my border collie Duke uh, years ago. And I was a big JJ Redick fan. So that's that was a big dream come true. And we ran out there and actually played pretty well i remember us we were probably down five with just over a minute to go and a ball bounced the wrong way we had two guys dive on it and ended up falling into seth curry's lap who basically shot a three like one-on-one breakaway and that kind of broke the game open he had 36 or something he tore us up but that was kind of my welcome to march madness but it was you get a police escort from hotels you stay in a nice hotel and all this kind of stuff which is a lot different when you're a smaller division one school in a smaller conference, I've been teammates, obviously, in Melbourne with Casey Prater. They went to Florida, and he tells me they get private jets everywhere. So we didn't have any of that. So March Madness was kind of the best possible thing to get to, even if you don't win. And uh, so then we won that that year. We came back the next year. We won our conference again. And a lot of people forget, you talk about the shot. The, the second year, we played Stony Brook, which is another big rivalry, in their small gym before they got a new one. Um, and I actually hit another game winner in that championship game, but it was about... 10 seconds to go on the on the clock but not many people talk about that which is understandable but then yeah so we won that one and that was where we were not expected to at all get close to winning the title that year so we had a playing game against Mount St Mary's which is the same level as us and we won that which is technically counts as a win in March Madness um which it really it really shouldn't but again it, it did so we got money for the school money for the conference for doing that and then we ended up playing Florida, the overall number one seed, which was Casey Prather, and only lost by seven or eight. We we did really well every time we went to the conference because when you're a smaller school playing against these big teams, you got to junk everything up. We were playing triangle and twos, one possession. We'd have a different code. We play box and one the next one. We'd zone the next one. We just trap everything and change it every single time and make the game as ugly as possible and nearly scraped away wins. So, Pete, with that Florida game. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, yeah, Casey Prather. There was Michael Frazier was in that. Scotty Wilberkin, so a lot of good NBL talent. Dorian Finney-Smith had a really good game off the bench for, for Florida there. But it's also worth mentioning, 14 and a half minutes to go in the second half, you actually hit a free throw to tie the game at 39. So you're right there. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's exactly... So we, we knew, like, the whole time, like, you might have in the back of the mind, oh, maybe you're not going to win this game. But we always thought, look, you never know what could happen. I mean, you saw UNBC uh, upset was a Virginia uh, a couple of years ago. So that was um, the first 16 to beat a one seed. I did it pretty convincingly. You, you never know what night you're going to get a certain team on. Um, and when you we knew they were loaded. They were the overall number one seed. Pat Young, their center at the time, was the biggest human being I've ever seen in my life. He literally, the definition of a brick shit house is that man, Pat Young. And um, yeah, so we were, we thought we had every single chance. I shot absolutely disgraceful in that game. I'll never forget it. And I blame the jerseys and the shorts. We had one of the worst uniforms of all time that season. But yeah, we always knew we were going to be a chance in these games. You just junk it up, try and make it ugly. And 
and see what can happen. If, if a couple of things go your way down the stretch, then you might win. It also wasn't fair. They kind of put us, they put us in uh, the Magic's uh, home, Orlando. So Florida had their whole crowd there rather than being in a different location. But when you are all number one seed, I guess you kind of deserve to have all that kind of stuff. And they really lose their mind in the States for the tournament, don't they? Like the, the productivity drops to ridiculous levels. Like we've read the stats before and it's just, it's, it's quite funny. I mean, I love it too. I've been loving, I've, I've loved it for over 20 years now. The tournament's one of my favorite times of the year. Let's get to the shot though. So this is kind of the precursor to the tournament. This gets you into the tournament. What was it like being the man who made one of the most iconic shots in the university of Albany history? And then Having all these people swamp the floor, like obviously Buddy kicked his thousandth goal recently. And, and I was re-watching the footage today, just watching it on YouTube again all these years later, I got chills down my spine. So I can only imagine how, and obviously the mix of emotions, just, oh, it must have been amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the more I look back on it now, because as you mentioned, the mixed emotions. So there was about eight weeks after my mum had passed away that I'd just come back from uh, from being home in Adelaide uh, for that. Um, she had the the four and a half year battle with with bowel cancer. So to be able to go back there and, and make my way back to playing, and we were playing all there was so much that was going into to this game, and I, I just wanted to win this game for her, and it was kind of so. It was a 10.30 or 11 a.m. tip-off because we have the first slot on ESPN on Championship Saturday because we're the smaller conference. So didn't sleep much the night before. My whole regular routine that I'm pretty superstitious when it comes to big games. So we'd won two titles in a row and I did exactly the same things the night before. So watched the same movie, ate the same food, had the same snacks, same color Gatorade and then went to bed. (laughs) Couldn't sleep. Uh, And I hate doing those superstitious stuff, but when it worked the second time, we won another title after we played pretty poorly i was like well this obviously is the reason we're winning this is no other reason we're winning so i did that and obviously didn't sleep much because my emotions started to build up and uh and read a letter that morning that my mum had wrote me um earlier on in that year so kind of felt settled and went out there and was pretty nervous to start i don't normally get nervous for those kind of games until the the game's on the line but i was really really kind of petrified for for what was to transpire and we were down seven i think with just over a minute to go they had their whole fan section packed it's it's five and a half thousand was our sefq arena that it holds but it's so loud when they're college fans going crazy for a title and i thought we lost i was like we played poorly down seven and kind of clawed back and I think the last minute was one of the ugliest minutes like we were flopping we were trying to get some calls we didn't get any calls and then uh, made some a couple big free throws Mike Rowley made really big free throws uh, and then yeah Carson Purifoy from Stony Brook makes the first free throw to put them up to uh, misses the second and uh, one of our teammates gets the rebound gives it to me and we're, we're running a play that's that was designed for me to get the ball back but I played pretty poorly as well and the one of our teammates Ray Sanders broke it off just wanted to get downhill and, and put up a, one of the worst layup attempts in terms of the moment <laughs> shot attempt of all time and I'm glad you uh, said it because we thought the same thing <laughs> awful awful and again look if I don't hit the shot it goes down as I like thinking like what are you doing because in, in hindsight had I not had it not played out the way it did I would have probably been, I would have had that regret that I still didn't take the shot. I, I'd already been there. I'd cemented myself in that team, in that program that I, I probably should be living with the result, whichever way. And I think a lot of the team would have thought the same thing. So yeah, misses the shot. And Jameel Warney, a good friend of mine from Stony Brook, uh, tips the ball out to me. And I started running back. I was gone. I was like, oh, well, we've lost. Um, I, I just want to get off the court before they storm our court. I, I'd already stormed two other teams' courts two years before. And I know how much more fun it is than your own floor because you're shutting everybody up. 
And then it just landed in my lap, took two steps, let it fly. And as soon as I, I still remember, as soon as I let it fly, it was never going to miss. It just felt perfectly out the hands. It didn't look perfect, but it just felt perfect. The Stony Brook three you hit was the only three your team hit in the entire game, is my understanding. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was – yeah, it was basically set up the time for everything. Yeah, we, we struggled to shoot the ball big time. Yeah, it, it's – it's it, as I said, everything had to go perfect in that moment, and it absolutely did. As soon as it hit the bottom of the net, and the way it all planned out, it, it's why it's a miracle to me because they had no timeouts. They didn't get a shot off. Nothing happened to try and ruin the moment. Everything just kept flowing in the moment. And then once I got swamped, I don't, I could hear a pin drop. I didn't hear a sound of anybody. And I got surrounded by my teammates, surrounded by the 5,000 people. And I do not remember a thing. I was just in my own thing and crying instantly from the start and then started to get a bit more excited. And then once everything had calmed down, we cut the net down. I cut my net down and just went and bawled out uh, my eyes again because it was the, the emotions just started to hit me. So, yeah, I didn't get the chance to celebrate a championship winning shot like you dream of as a kid. But in the end, you'll take it as you can get it. Absolutely. You, you, you've literally, I had a list of follow-up questions to this and you've answered pretty much all of them. <laughs> I, I actually, I wrote, this was shades of Robert Ori beating Sacramento in game four of those 0-2 conference finals that Kobe misses the layup. It gets batted around and gets tapped straight out. Similar sort of thing. Even kind of front on as well. Yeah, top of the key. And, yeah. and you're right, Jamil Warney, could not have given you a better pass if you tried like it just <laughs> hey, look, we had battles he was obviously like he was the head force of stone he's a beast um still playing around i think he's playing in asia somewhere um he was actually nearly going to sign with me in melbourne united which would have been fun but yeah it just it fell my life people started tweeting i don't i didn't remember the robert Ori one at the time until my phone started blowing up and i saw a couple of them but yeah from from straight from that moment afterwards i was settled down because it's the game it's one it's 1 p.m at that moment. So you th- in my in the last two years I'm thinking, okay, let's where the beer's at. Like let's go. We know how this goes. <laughs> We're on the beers. And but then I got a tap on the shoulder and we saw um you got to come upstairs for a Skype interview with ESPN first. And I was like, oh sweet. I was like, cool. Being on ESPN, this will be fun. So I did a Skype interview and it's I was on YouTube somewhere. It's one of the worst things ever. My nose is right up on the screen. It's it's horrible. I watched it today um, in my lunch break, mate. No, it was good. Horrible. It wasn't a bad no, it was but it was fine. again it was good. Yeah, again, you don't expect it. If you're ever gonna be on ESPN, you're from Albany, you know, unless you do something incredible, it's you think it's a phone call or something. So that was cool, and I was like, oh, sweet. Went to, I remember went to TGI Fridays. And they were like, uh, a couple of people were coming over, like, oh, we're going to show you some shots or something. And I was like, yes, sweet, yes, sweet. I was like, this is cool. Because I had to still be careful. The year before that, the week before our championship game, we just beat Vermont to get to play Stony Brook, so to win our second one. We went to Chipotle, and our center at the time was on the phone. So he wasn't in line with us to order, and he came later. So he's about two minutes behind us. And when he got to the front of the queue, the Chipotle woman said, oh, you guys just beat Vermont. That's a big win. This one's on the house. And he was next to the commissioner of our conference at the time, who then reported back and <gasps> got him suspended oh, for wow. because of the you can't take things for free as athletes. So he ended up getting out of the suspension by paying a charitable donation the same amount as the burrito. Um, so he played in the game. But that's why so I walk in there wow. and people fans are going crazy trying to buy us drinks and stuff. And I'm just looking around. And at that point, I really like screw it. I was like, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be coming back for my fifth year. So I was like, screw it. Uh, let's just do it. Uh, load me up. So that was fun. Did all that. We got the Sunday morning, got a phone call. We had selection Sunday that night. Uh, that's, I had to go and do the live thing with Charles Barkley. And all of that with my coach, extremely hungover, but that was a lot of fun. And then got to find out we're playing Oklahoma. We were playing Buddy Heald, which was going to be a, a lot of fun. And then I got a we'll go back to get ready. To, we had, I think we had practice the next day. We were leaving the next day. And I got a phone call saying, oh, you got to drive down to Connecticut now that you're actually going to be in ESPN Studios. And I was like, oh, 
okay, that'll be cool. And jumped into there with our, with our media girl. They put us in a hotel. We, we drove down there. I was on the 11.30 that night. And I get there and in the green room, um, I can't remember who exactly it was. Uh, the first one, there one there was one was a couple of blokes, and then the next the next Steve morning, Steve Levy was like, and Butch wasn't it? Scott Butchergrass. Yeah, at, at Butchergrass. Yeah, yeah, so that was cool. Yeah. That, that was my first time walking on ESPN. As now a guy who's in the commentary game, it's so cool to see. It's like a campus. I, I think it's changed a lot now, but it was unbelievable to walk around. I was like, this looks like so much fun. Green room was insane. I met Jay Williams in the green room, which was cool. But I saw everyone, everybody was there at the time. Um, Tim Legler, I saw there, a couple of other guys. And yes, yeah, so that was cool to be part of what I want to do now, what I am doing now. So did that the night and then had to go back in the morning, do it all again before we headed over to play Oklahoma and lost. I can't remember how much lost that game by, but again, we felt like we were in it. It was another one that was close down the stretch and just tried to junk it up and they hyped up me and Buddy Hill all week as saying two shooters going to go at it. It's going to be an exciting game to watch. I think we would combine three of 18. You probably have the stats. It was something appalling from three. But anyway, it was still another March Madness ticked off. So then obviously, you know, after the year with Oklahoma, the, the last season wasn't so great. You get to the, the tournament. I know you're already, you're already got the look on your face. So you lose to Hartford in that, that tournament. They finished four and 12. You beat them by 16 a week earlier. Obviously not a great way to finish out the the career there, but, um, you know, obviously still some great times. I can't believe you brought that up. Uh, not many people like to bring that up. Yeah, so, but firstly, so I decided <laughs> to go back for my fifth year based on a promise to my mum before she passed that I finished what I started. I had a chance to go pro. I had some MBO opportunities, but I was like, look, I, I, I'm going to start my master's degree, get all, I got a scholarship. I get to go back and, and try and build on this. Uh, at the time, I was talking to um, uh, the Knicks is having a couple of workouts and stuff as well when that was finished. So I was like, oh, sweet. I knew I wasn't going to play in the NBA or any of that, but just the chance to do a workout would have been cool. But I, I promised that I'd go back to finish what I started because my mum always told me how important school was. And I loved school, to be honest. So I was like, it's a master's. It's something I want to do. So I get it for free. Let me do it. Uh, went back and again we were flying we thought we were going to have a chance to win four titles sam and i'd already run three we were the only guys to win three titles in uh in albany history so yeah i was like this is what i want to do and we were flying we thought we were going to be great and we played hartford in the first round of the the conference finals uh conference quarterfinals whatever it was and um, as i said one and done league doesn't matter how good you play in the regular season if you lose that you're out and we were 21 and a half point favorites in vegas and we ended, we were down by 20 in the second half at one stage. Wow. It was the worst Vegas upset in college sport that entire year. Lost to a guy named Pancake Thomas from Hartford. I, saw, I uh, saw that name because he was on, was he on the same all-rookie team as you? He might have been. Might the have conference. Been. Oh, he he might, might, yeah, yeah, might have been conference all-rookie team. All-conference, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah sorry. Yeah. And, Apparently, apparently he got named Pancake because his mum had no idea she was pregnant and just had stomach pains, went to hospital, and the doctor's like, you're giving birth any minute. No. Oh, so wow. I, I, that's what I was told. That's So I was like, okay, that's an unbelievable story. And he couldn't miss. And yeah, it was a really emotional, uh, emotional moment, that game, because my whole college career had come to end on this, really, what well, shouldn't have ended this way. And the more I look back on it now, it's kind of like, well... It, it bookended my college. I started, obviously I broke my foot, but that year we lost on a, on a, on a bullshit tip in from Stony Brook in the semifinals where the shot clock game clock was a second off and they had a chance. They took a shot to win. We were up one. It missed, but it hit the rim. Our whole team stopped playing and a guy tipped it in to win and that knocked us out. So that was my first experience of tasting the conference finals and then to lose on some crap 
to Hartford was kind of like, well, started bad, finished bad, but in the middle was unbelievable. So I'll take that because just to win one ring, I got three unbelievably nice looking rings that I can't wait to show my children in the future. And I will not tell them that they're only allowed to be worth a certain amount, which is funny for those people who love college football and you see the Alabama rings and stuff. They are only under college rules. They're only allowed to be worth like a few hundred dollars. So they all are as fake as possible. There's a little tip there. <laughs> Lots of zirconia, hey? <laughs> so you talked about some bad experiences. Unfortunately, you had a really inauspicious start to your professional career, didn't you? Because you had an opportunity evaporate in Townsville when that team folded. And then you had a bit of a unfortunate stint in England, didn't you? With, with a pretty unprofessional outfit there by the sounds of things. But you did make your way back to the NBL with opportunities at Sydney and Melbourne. Now, obviously, the Sydney one didn't come to fruition. But how were those kind of early days back here in Australia? Uh, it was awesome. It, it was what I needed. I've been away five years with college, but then to go to England, uh, Reese Carter was there. Love Reese Carter, and we both thought we were going into a great situation, and it was really poor. I was a naturalized player. I got an English passport from my old man, and place was nice. But I have an eight-page blog that I never released on how poorly I was treated uh, as an individual. Other people were treated pretty bad as well, but probably none as bad as I was. And I think it was just because I was trying to get. I was a young guy trying to get to the next level. And it was really, it was really hurtful. It, it kind of put me into a, like a, not, I wouldn't say fully depressed, but I was in a really bad way mentally. And I was happy to not play the game ever again. So told them that I wanted to leave and they granted me a release and thought I was all good to slowly pack up. And I got home and my girlfriend at the time was there and she, and they said, gave me a call and said, have the car back cleaned out of your apartment in two hours. So I had to sleep on Reese's toddler's bed fly home um, and then yeah absolutely yeah so it, and it was it was really poor but again it's yeah it's something i look back on now is I, st- I got i got to try it then i ended up signing with ballarat they came around and i was close enough to home i was like i'm still in australia that's going to do I told my age i said i'm not going overseas I was like it's nbl or nothing and he said look there's barely any nbl spots i was like whatever i was like that's cool i'll, I'll try and get into radio stuff or do something I don't, i'm not going overseas anymore and played really well um in seawall at the time nbl one now for ballarat and then he told me that Daniel Dillon had torn his Achilles, so I had, might have a chance at Melbourne United. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I was actually out on a trip in Melbourne for a three-night bender when I got told, come to training the next morning <laughs> for an individual workout. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, so I was like, all right. But I was, tra- I was with like Craig Moller because um, he was playing in Ballarat. And he was my roommate, and he was training the next morning. My first individual had to do like all these one-on-one drills and I'm getting like elbowed in the face from a juke majuke. I'm trying to guard Chris Golding my first day, all this kind of stuff. And then afterwards, Dean's like, look, I'm impressed, but we're not uh, going to sign anybody just yet. Cause I was about to go on a China trip with Sydney. He goes, go on that trip and see what happens. Cause they had two spots left. And so I was like, oh, okay. Turns out they were trying to sign Will McDowell, I believe uh, at the time. Or Tom Wilson, it might've been Tom Wilson at the time. And so then I went to China with Sydney. It was kind of my last chance to do it. And I really wanted to put on a show. I went there with, uh, with Gazy. Um, they had took a, a, a group of guys over that they were trying to try out for the last two spots. And uh, I got there and we were down 15 or something at halftime in the first game with six active players. Two guys' visas fell through on the way there. Dane Pinot did his ankle in the first quarter and Manny Malou did his knee in the first training. So we had six players. Our uh, strength coach suited up. Wow. <laughs> down 15 and Gazy walks in at halftime, one of the most inspirational speeches, and just says, look, didn't expect to win a single game on this trip. We just want to see who we want to sign. So plenty of opportunity left. And I was like, well, we put it that way. Let's go and have some fun. Came back, won that game, went undefeated the whole trip, ended up winning a big lot of cash that we didn't see much of. And then 
ended up getting offers from both Sydney and Melbourne and decided to choose Melbourne. So that's kind of how that all came about. So obviously you've mentioned now you're at Melbourne United. This is the point in time where you've started playing for them. Now we have to double check. Were you a 36ers fan growing up? Sure was, yep. Big Adelaide 36 fan growing up because it was the Clipsal powerhouse and you used to get feel-good iced coffees on the way out. They used to have people with crates giving feel-good iced coffees on the way. And I lived in Harndorf, so it's probably an hour, 10 drive. Willie Farley, that was my guy. Dusty Reichardt, all those Darren I obviously ended up, I was training with Adelaide in, in 2009 before I went to college, but I couldn't play or I couldn't do anything at the time to ruin my college eligibility. So Nearly didn't even play under 20s nationals to get picked to go to college because once we landed in Maitland for 20s nationals, we were told the college changed the rules to not allow certain players, if you had a gap year or something, to play to represent your state because you'll lose your eligibility. So it was me, uh, Jackson Aldridge, Drimic, uh, Hadzimerovich, all these guys going to college at our nationals weren't going to be able to play and they gave us an exemption. So yeah, but big, big Adelaide fan, uh, loved everything about Adelaide 36ers. So yeah, it was it was weird because I know what you're about to ask. My my first game ever playing in NBL was against Adelaide on that exact floor. And it was strange. Honestly, it felt as strange as you could imagine. So I guess the, the obvious following question is, what was it like beating them in that five game grand final series? Well, I mean, to get my, I got my first points in, in Adelaide. So I was kind of like, that's something I get to always hold my hat on. But that was, people say, the greatest grand final series of all time from what people can remember. And uh, it, it was it was fun to play in because we we won, we had home court advantage. John K Arena was crazy. It was Melbourne Arena at the time. It was high sense at the time. It, it's changed names more than prime ministers. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so to be able to play in, in that final and um, none of us, well, they kind of looked like that could potentially beat us on our home floor. We just kept getting spanked every time we went to Adelaide because the fans are crazy. That fan base at the time, I think, hated Chris Golding more than any other fan base, even more than Perth, more than anybody, <laughs> uh, which normally got him more fired up. So, yeah, to be able to, to play there, and uh, we were down down 20 or something in, in game four and nearly came back and won it. Barlow got a T for stepping over the line and the baseline. We know Josh Chill just got hurt. Uh, he ran into Barlow. But then game five, I, oh, that was when I was getting nervous because I was like, oh, man, we, we have a chance to win a title here. Because I, I drove to games. I lived down in, in Blackrock on the beach at the time. So I used to go to games and training and everything with Barlow. And we spoke about it too much leading up, up to the game about potentially winning a title together. And I was so nervous going warming up for that game. And, and I was shooting with Chris a few hours beforehand. And, and, and Chris, so how are you feeling? I was like, mate, I'm, I'm packing it. And I was like, what about you? He's like, no, nah. he's like, I'm built for this. And I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, but you are, though. You're, you're, you're so right. And that game was over in the first quarter. Game five was over in the first quarter based on Chris just taking over. So that's when I was just like, I've been in awe of certain players that I've played with, played against. And that man by far is one of them because I was just like, he's just a big game player. And I was just like, wow. And then that was just so fun to be in. And it, I, Daniel Johnson, I, I pretty much lived with in 2009. So to kind of beat him, I felt uh, a little bad. He, he's a good mate of mine. But besides that, I was like, yes, yeah, sweet. If, I mean, if I can't join him, I'm going to try and beat them. So it was good to try and <laughs> to win that against uh, a team that I love growing up. Amen. Now, not only that, you were also fortunate enough to play in a number of NBA, NBL crossover games. I know you missed out on it initially through injury, so it's good that you still got that opportunity in the end in 2018. So you had two points and two assists against Philly, 
five points against Toronto. What was it like being a part of that? Yeah, well, I mean, the first one, I mean, at the time, I, mean, uh, I did love OKC when, when we got to play OKC. It was after that first game in Adelaide 2018 season. And that was the the Paul George, the Russ and the Mello season. Um, so to, and we lost by one. And so we landed, we, we played the Adelaide 36ers round one of the NBL season. We flew out the next day to OKC. So we flew out Friday morning, landed in Oklahoma on Friday, watched them play the Pelicans at OKC in a preseason game that night in a box, trained that next Saturday, proper training, which I didn't expect to do, pretty much snapped my foot. I was cooked and I was so, I was going to get an MRI and everything. I was, that's one of the most pains I've been in. Came back in a moon boot. I was obviously not going to play and was sitting there doing the national anthem and I was supposed to not be standing up apparently, but I was like, no, nah, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to try and pretend like I'm part of this. And as I was going to sit back down to the bench after the national anthem, Paul George walked over to me and kind of asked me what had happened. And I told him yesterday, what happened yesterday. And he was like, oh, he's like, oh, it's like, it's nothing. He kind of spoke about his injury and how he came back from it. And I kind of looked at him like, mate, your injury was a shitload worse than mine. I'll be all right. Like, appreciate it. But that was really cool. I was like, okay, it's a cool moment. And we nearly beat them. And I just really hoped that we had a chance to play NBA teams again if I was going to sign with whoever and came back to Melbourne and they were, when we got told we were going to play two, uh, it was kind of, it, it sounds exciting, but as a team in a preseason, we were all just thinking it was like two. It was like, it, it's it's kind of a lot when you're trying to get ready for a season, you're trying to win a title again um, at the time of it. But go over there and play Philly. A lot of my college friends and, and, and my family that I made over there came down to watch. And yeah, I, I was never going to try and, shoot 100 shots in those games. I was just happy to be out there. I mean, JJ Redick has said one of my favorite players of all time, fouled him on a three and lifted him up. And I apologized and said, mate, I made a career out of this. And I was like, these kind of little tips. I was like, that's sick. And I was like, you really have. Uh, so that was cool. And yeah, I managed just to, just to get out there and, and enjoy the moment. Because it's those kind of games where guys like Chris, Chris had 19 in the first half, I believe, on Philly until MB nearly killed him on an unnecessary play on a fast break. Casper, all these guys, like this is their kind of chance to show all that. So I was never going to go in there and try and do too much. And then, yeah, so uh, that was the night. Of, that night was the AFL grand final where James was playing for Collingwood against West Coast uh, at the time. So I stayed up and watched all that. We went to New York for a couple of days uh, before we went to Toronto, went to go play Toronto. We were there for like a week and a bit before we actually played the game, which was a long drag in a preseason. We've got a lot of training, then go and play the Raptors, and we got butt spanked by Toronto. And they didn't, Kawhi didn't play, Kyle Larry didn't play. I think, uh, I'm not sure if Siakam played. He did, yeah, he played well. Um, Serge Barker played. Yeah, so and I was like, they just had these young guys, and they just came out there and, absolutely rat and wild. Um, Dang Adele played, came on in the last quarter, and I think he had 18 points in the last quarter, if my memory serves me correct. Eight, like he just came on, played the whole 12 minutes. So that was, I was kind of like, again, it was, it, was a, it was a really cool moment to be part of it. And then um, they won the title. So it was kind of, we lost to the NBA champions at the time. So we'll take that. That, uh, that Philly game's actually on YouTube, by the way. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but I managed to watch a, a bit of it earlier on today. Saw your two points, a nice little up and under layup with the left hand. So you, you you got on the scoreboard, which is you know something not many people can say. They've scored against NBA teams. You've, you did amazingly, honestly. Again, that's all I wanted to do. If I hit the if I hit the score sheet, that's all I really wanted to do. So I was like, I got one done. Um, my wife's family came down to watch and all that, and wife's family was giving us shit saying that I didn't shoot the ball enough but that wasn't really my role in any time once I got to Melbourne anyway so I was just happy to, to be on, on that and, and get that moment and honestly yeah two points is great but I got to foul JJ Reddick on a three who was one of my idols so that was cool <laughs> I'll take that over the two points 
Now, a bit of a surprise here. We've got a listener question from a C. Ellis. No, that's a bit obvious. A Cody E has said, <laughs> ask Pete about the scrimmage against the Taipans, the closed door scrimmage. I can see you nodding already <laughs> and shaking your head. Oh, there's a story here. Go on, Pete. <laughs> no, I knew exactly. As soon as you said uh, who it was from, I knew exactly what the question was going to be. Yeah, preseason scrimmage uh, at MSAC, closed doors uh, against Cairns. He was running around. Cody Ellis was running around for the Taipans. Can't remember, we didn't have everybody play. I, I might have had, I think I had 18 or something. So I was actually feeling really good. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Playing against Cairns and feeling pretty good out there. And I was like, oh, sweet. Because you want to win every game, especially when you're getting a lot of minutes. I can't remember who wasn't playing for us. And big fella gets a, a kick out on the buzzer in the corner. And I was like, surely not. And absolutely. And this game started at like 10 a.m. And of course, he hits a game winner. And I was like, oh, look, I was like, what are you like? How? And uh, But then that's just him. Like, you talk about being ready for every moment. That man was always ready for every moment. So uh, it was kind of something that we always talk about. And I knew he was going to, as soon as you said that name, I knew exactly who he was going to talk about, which why wouldn't you? It's, that's our banter now. Well, he's he's a guy that we've uh, we've had a couple of episodes with and someone that we really hope gets another shot in the NBL. He's got the heart. He's got the game. It's just, just a great guy. So we'll be really watching is. him uh, this weekend in the NBL one, as a matter of fact. What we like to do with everyone who comes on the show, we like to ask one final question, which is about your favorite live experience that you've ever experienced. It doesn't have to be basketball. It can be any sport whatsoever. And yeah, we just like to throw it out to you. And, say, and it, yeah, yeah. It, it could be you sit, like playing on the court and watching someone on the opposition or on your team, or it could be as a 10 year old sitting in the stands. We'll leave it open to you as to what you want to, what comes to mind, I guess. I've got, they're, they're two, it's two good little tidbits. Times I've really been in awe on the basketball court. So, and I remember them specifically. One was in 2009 when I was training with the with the 36ers. Uh, we had training in the morning. We came back from two till three every Monday to do a free throw practice. And all it was, you'd pair up and you'd shoot free throws for an hour in streaks. So you, as soon as you miss, you'd switch and you'd get your longer streak. And Marty Clark, coach at the time, come back in. Loser, I can't remember, might have had to pay for something or do something. So this one time I got paired up with Darren Eng. Darren Eng, sharpshooter, the doctor, was doing a doctorate from like midnight till 6 a.m. would come train. Insane. So I took the first free throw, missed it. He continued to shoot for the entire 59 minutes and 50 seconds after that. He's wow. used something like 400 and something ridiculous. He was just taking his time. Did not miss a free throw. And Marty Clark came down, going down, asking everybody the streaks. He gets to me and I said, zero. He said, what do you mean zero? I said, I took one shot and I missed it. He's like, who are you shooting? I said, dinger. And I can't, and he had the record for the rest of the year. But I was like, I just look, I was like, I haven't seen anything like it. I was like, he's man, it's just, he was a robot, came there and just did not move <laughs> to the next hour. Oh, wow. Um, and a similar one to that was we were doing a three point competition thing, um, threes in five minutes, I think it was at United. And I used to always, because I was never going to win those, but everyone would always try and draw me in because I was the best rebounding and passer. That was what I tried to pride myself on. Because whoever holds the record, everyone remembers that who else helped them do it. So Chris grabbed me for this one training, uh, one session, and I was just locked in to help him get this record. He didn't move off the uh, the left wing, just straight up and down for five minutes, and he missed two threes in five minutes. And it was like a I was literally, and Dean was, like, everyone was, and I was just like, this man is a straight robot when it comes to shooting. Just kept catching, shooting. I just wanted to get the seams right. I just kept trying to get it. Missed two shots, and I was just like. What is going on? I was like, this is the most unbelievable shooting I've ever seen in my life. And I would say for sure he would still hold that record, but 
I do every time I bring it up, if I have dinner with him and we're with someone else, like we were with Newell's last year and I was like, and the RCG who was rebounding and he, he already knew. So that was good to know that I was part of that. But those are two times in just pure shooters. I was just in awe of what I've witnessed on the basketball that I wished I could have experienced more in my life. I had hot games, plenty of hot games that were fun where you just know you can't miss. But to have that, to be able to tap into in like practice, it's they're freaks. I must admit, there is no player in the NBL that I get more nervous. Anytime he touches the ball, I tense up because I'm expecting him to stick a dagger in the Wildcats as a, a, a Perth fan, obviously. He, he's he's a freak. That's what he is. He's a big-time player. And he's, again, another guy who might just well, be looking like he's just not locked in. Might go all of 10, and then we'll break the game open with something ridiculous. So he's, yeah, he's... And again, I grew, as an Adelaide fan... I've told him this. I grew up hating that man and then ended up having winning a championship with him and he was in my wedding and a guy I loved to death and I was just like, wow, you are taken away a completely the wrong person when you're on the other side. But even being his teammate, I can see why because they fans hate him, but fans got to start to realize at some point he loves when fans hate him. Like he plays better when fans hate him. The louder a fan is trying to boo him or say something to him, the more he's going to end that game. And I, I hate it. Every time I heard some trash talk, I got some horrible trash talk from Illawarra fans. In the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just a kid, man. I was like, that's that, that hurts my heart. Like, what are you doing? Chris, Chris is just turning around saying, fuck you. I'm winning this game. Like, that's as simple as it was. Well, if that's not a cautionary tale to fans around Australia who aren't in Melbourne, I don't know what is. Thank you so much, Pete. You've been so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. We've had a hell of a lot of fun. Do you have any plugs? Obviously, we can see you on the airwaves for the next season, NBL 23. But do you have anything else you wanted to plug while we're wrapping up? No, I got, no nothing to plug yet. I'm trying to work on a couple of things. So we'll, we'll keep that. Uh, I don't want to throw anything out there too. So I don't like to count my chickens while they hatch. I've been trying to get some things over the last couple of years that haven't worked. But fingers crossed that I have something in, in the next couple of months. All right. Well, watch this space with Peter Hawley. Thank you so much again, mate. All the best with everything. And hopefully we'll get to chat with you again sometime. Thanks, mate. It sounds good, fellas. I appreciate it. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, so great to spend some time with Peter Hawley, one of the greatest commentators the NBL's ever seen. Oh, definitely the funniest. Definitely. A, a fantastic look into his great four-year period at Albany and, and his time at Melbourne United as well. Thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and chatting with him. It was, it was great fun. And we barely scratched the surface, did we? We didn't even get onto the commentary stuff. So I'd encourage people to look at a really moving, poignant New York Post article he wrote after hitting the shot for Albany. So, yeah, just a great broadcaster, just an all-round great guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplugs.